But this morning we want to take a little bit of time and consider, well, more it's about considering a question for me which rises out of these last verses of Luke chapter 20 and then addressing that a little bit this morning. Uh, Let's read through that. So we're going to begin in Luke chapter 20 verse 39, overlap a little bit from where we finished last week. It says here, Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well, but after that they dared not question him anymore. Then Jesus flips the tables and he questions them. And he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now David himself said in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, and best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Let's have a a word of prayer as we continue. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word to glean some answers or at least in part to some questions and see the nature of people we pray that it would help us it would encourage us and fill us with boldness in the way that we proclaim christ and that we understand this world lord we pray today that the gospel would be clear that indeed as we've said that we would see your work in us and in those around us this morning pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, modern technology has made us a little bit skeptical about a lot of things and, and many things. Uh, you know, it used to be that we were just worried or, or concerned about things like, like airbrushing in magazines and making people look pretty or, or better looking uh, in the magazines and things. But nowadays, you know, with the internet and all that's going on, we, we watch videos on the internet and we see amazing things happen and we think is that really real or did somebody doctor that some way did they trick us some way and and make it look like that i was looking through uh uh, to to do some editing on our previous sermons on on the internet and one of the first ones i noticed we had the camera angle all wrong the camera was too low so what it did is it, it made me look like a giant now you all know me i'm not a giant i am short but with the right camera angle, I can look like I'm seven feet tall. Uh, you know, by changing the camera here a little bit, things can, can change. The result of these things is sometimes uh, we're slow to believe things that are real. Uh, that skeptical attitude. Here, as we come to the end of Luke chapter 20, um, it's this skepticism, this idea of what we don't believe and why we don't believe things, which is coming to my mind. You know, here the the elite of the religious people in in Jerusalem and and the Jews have wanted Jesus dead for a long time. And here they're they're getting closer to the opportunity to be able to do that. And we've seen through chapter 20, they're trying to question him, they're trying to find their angle to be able to get him and get Rome to, to get him for them. But as, as they've been listening to Jesus, he has 
He's answered everything they've questioned him about, not just in the last chapter, but through the last three years. Every challenge they've put to him, he's answered back and they've been unable to correct him or find fault with him. Everything has been exactly as it needs to be. And yet over these, these three years that Jesus has been ministering and he's been doing all of these uh, amazing things, they still don't believe him. They won't believe that Jesus is the Christ. As we look in this, this passage here of Luke chapter 20 uh, and taking in that, the, the belief that the Jews had about the Christ. So the Christ is, is another term for the Messiah or the promised one who would come, the one who would deliver and who would set up the kingdom. So we find in, in Matthew and, and Mark, Jesus has asked them a question about who they think the Christ is, and they've answered it, and this is his answer to that. And the belief was that the Messiah, or that the Christ, would be a descendant of David. Now, that's absolutely true. That's what the Bible shows, and, and Jesus has said that over and over again. He's called himself the son of David, and he's never denied that. His lineage proves that, that he is a descendant of David. The idea was, the belief was because he was a son of David, or a descendant of David, well, then he would be a real person, have a real kingdom with a real rule. So he would be fully human. Yet David, as Jesus shows here in these verses, he's quoting from Psalm, Psalm 110 there. As David says, not only does he speak of, of the coming Messiah, of the Christ as a descendant, but he speaks of him as Lord. So David speaks of Lord. And the question he's raising to these uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees is, if he is a son of David, how then can David call him Lord? What does that mean about the coming of the Christ? Now, the Jews, when they heard this and when Jesus was putting it out, they knew exactly what he was talking about. As we read through this, it, it might be a little confusing to us about what he's getting at and how it works. But to the Jews... When Jesus said this, they knew exactly what he meant. They knew that by saying this, he was claiming that he is a full descendant of David. That is, he is fully human, but at the same time, he is Lord. It's the word that David uses for Lord in his psalm is the word used for God. He's saying to them and telling them yet again, yes, I am the Christ who is fully human and fully God. Romans chapter 1, Paul kind of answers this question simply. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 3, says, Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. We've often, and maybe you've considered often too, the idea that these people, they have seen Jesus. They heard him speak. They heard his answers. They heard his, his wisdom. And they saw the great miracles that he did amongst these people and were witnesses to some of the most amazing things. They've seen the ministry of Jesus before their very own 
eyes. And in all of this time and in all of their questioning and in every time they've seen Jesus, they have never been able to disprove the claims that he made. And yet, here we are, coming to the end of Jesus' life, and they refuse to believe. Still, it's the same today with people. We refuse to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it's this idea that got me thinking this week as I looked at this passage and I thought about what was going on here, about why, why, after all of the proof, after everything that they've heard, after everything that they've seen and experienced, why do they reject Jesus? What draws them to this point or brings them to this point where they, they, they know the truth, but they refuse to accept it. And that's where I want to take us to John chapter 5 this morning, because in John chapter 5, Jesus answers that question. He answers the question for us of why people reject Jesus. And so I want to spend just a few moments this morning looking at four reasons that Jesus gives us here in John chapter 5 about why people reject him. This, again, is, is directed directly at the religious leaders. So we're looking at the same group of people from Luke as we are looking in John chapter 5. I'm going to see here some of the reasons why people reject Jesus as Savior. So if you're in John chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 40 through verse 47 and see why Jesus says we, or people, reject Christ as Savior. It says, John chapter 40, and, or chapter 5, and verse 40. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you, have not, uh, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So here I want to look at four reasons. Here he brings Moses into it, but he uses Moses here in the same way that he uses David in Luke. And we'll see that as we, we move through. But the first reason we see that Jesus gives here about why people reject him as Savior is this. Firstly, sin rules their hearts. Sin rules their hearts. In verse 40, it says, But you are not willing to come to me, that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. Here is the, the truth, the truth that so many of us try to reject and to ignore, is that we deliberately reject Jesus. We deliberately reject him. It is a choice that we make, an act of the will. We are, by our nature, hard-hearted and rebellious. In Psalm 53 and verse 1, 
David says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. So why don't we believe Jesus? The real simple answer to that, the fundamental answer to that is we don't want to. That's what it boils down to, really, in the end. We don't want to. We deliberately choose by an act of our own will because of reasons which we will continue to see. We reject Jesus. How do we reject him? In what ways do we see that, that happen? Because it's not always just this, this outright, what seems like an outright rebellion where we say, no, I won't do it. There's a, a lot of ways in which that rebellion, which that rejection is seen. It may be in simple forms like we just ignore him altogether. We don't think about him. And so we live our lives just to, with, without any thought of, of God or of Jesus and choose not to involve him in our lives at all. It may even be an outright rejection where we, we have heard of Jesus, where we have heard of God, and we understood it, we decide, no, I'm not going to believe that I don't want to believe that. Or perhaps we're making excuses about why we reject him and because we don't like this about it or it costs me too much with this. But there's excuses that come or we set demands on God which God doesn't seem to meet. And so we reject him and in rejecting Jesus, we do the most horrible damage to ourselves and that is we reject life. We reject life. We call this, in theological terms, we call this the depravity of mankind. It is that our hearts are rebellious and wicked. Now, these guys that we see, both in Luke chapter 20 and John chapter 5 here, these religious leaders, they all looked the part. They looked right. They worshipped regularly, so they were in the temple whenever ever the temple worship was there, and they were worshipping, and they would bring their sacrifices, and... They knew the scriptures, or at least they were, appeared to know the scriptures, called themselves experts in, in much of the scriptures and the traditions and all that went along with it. So they, they knew the part. They prayed often, and they made sure everybody knew they prayed often. They were not ashamed to talk about God. It was part of their conversation and part of their life regularly. So if we were ever to look at people and say, here is people who who seem to have it right with, with God, who seem to like God, these would be the people because they look like it. And yet here was the answer to God right in front of them and they didn't believe it. See, it was all exterior. Everything they did was all about the outside and really it was all about them. And that's why when you flip back to, to Luke chapter 20, in verses 46 and 47, Jesus is warning us about the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. That is, it all looked good on the outside. We seem to do the right things. We acted right. We do the right things. We, we keep out of trouble mostly. But on the inside, we're rebellious. And so as he says in Luke 20, verse 47, God's love was not in them. 
They didn't know God's love. Because they didn't know God's love, they couldn't show God's love. Which Jesus also illustrates in Luke 20, where he says that they devour widows' houses. That they treated people who were in need uh, with great disdain. That's what made them hard. The idea of depravity, that inwardly we are rebellious, shows that we are riddled with sin. Why is the love of God not in them? Because of what is inside us. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18, Paul instructs us with these words, having their understanding darkened, being alienated, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Just like we saw a moment ago in Psalm 53, it says God looks down from heaven and he's looking for those that will believe him, those that will seek him. It says we are all corrupt. Every part of me is corrupt. I don't completely love God supremely. The extent of that sin, the extent of what happens inside us is is immense. It, it affects everyone. So if everyone has sinned, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because of that sin, we are all guilty before God. Every single one of us, me and, and you, every single one of us stand before God guilty. Guilty of rejecting him. As a result, we are estranged from God, separated from him, or as Ephesians said, alienated from him. Our hearts are corrupt and deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 9 reminds us of that, that our heart is deceitful above all things. That is, it, it, we have this way of convincing ourselves everything is right and that we're okay, even when we know deep down that is not the truth. And so we are enslaved by sin and dead in sin. We reject Christ, firstly, because we're sinful. That's where it begins. We reject Christ because we're sinful. Secondly, the second reason that Jesus gives us here about why we reject Jesus Christ is this, that self fills our minds. Self fills our minds. In verse 43 of John chapter 5, it says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? We desire glory. We like to raise up self and increase our opinion of ourselves. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, let me read that for you, find that here. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 it begins, it says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. So the idea of the last days is these times before Jesus returns. So in these times before Jesus returns, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people 
turn away. See, so many of those things in that list, well, some of them we're going to look at and say, well, that's not me. But every single one of those things in that list describes the people that we see in Luke 20 and in John chapter 5 and in our own lives today. And that is that it's about making us feel better. It's about lifting ourselves up, doing what makes us feel good. So as Paul says in, in one point there in 2 Timothy, that we are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Is we, we want what lifts us up. We want what makes us feel better. We want the pat on the back. We want the praise. We want to be known. We're consumed with ourselves. The desire to have the praise of others. Jesus is saying, how can I be glorified as your Lord when you are seeking the glory? We're devoted to imposters. We reject Jesus and, and we, we put something else and someone else in his place. Because of our selfishness, we look for someone that suits us. We're looking for, for someone that will give us what we want, that will fill us with our own desires. Ultimately, that's self. But we will look to others and we will find others who will, who will feed that sense of self to us, who will praise us. Since Jesus doesn't fit what we want, we reject him. And so we replace Jesus. In Second Timothy chapter, or sorry, first, uh, yeah, Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3 says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. We will replace Jesus with someone or something that tells us what we want to hear that will fill our minds and will fill our ears with the things we want to hear and puff us up. John, in his, or in his letters later in First and Second John, but mostly in First John, John talks about the Antichrists. So not what we often talk about as the Antichrist, but that there are many Antichrists, he says. And what he's saying there with these Antichrists is that they are people, they are anyone that turns us away from Jesus, that directs us to someone or something else other than Jesus. So we replace Christ with people that lead us away from him. What imposters. You know, I had thought that this uh, uh, idea which was popular a while ago in a book called The Secret. I thought that kind of will away, but I've started to hear a lot more of it lately. This idea is basically the law of attraction. But if you put out into the universe what you want, then the universe will, will bring it to you. you know, so it, it, it's a basically, I, I want to be fed with what I, I want. I want to be approved in this universe. There is as those sorts of things, that the prosperity gospel is, is tragically anti-Christ. It completely leads us away from Christ and to ourselves. 
we worship ourselves in, in so many ways and we replace Jesus with ourselves more often than we imagine or we think. Or, or we, we look to famous people or celebrities, even celebrity Christians, who will tell us what we want to hear about life and about ourselves. Anyone and everyone that will feed our desire for self. Why do we follow these imposters? We follow them because they tell us what we want to hear. And we want to hear that I am good, that I am great, that I can do whatever I want. People reject Christ for two reasons. Firstly, because we're sinful and we're selfish. Two reasons. Number three here that Jesus gives us about why we reject Christ. Firstly, people reject Christ because we're sinful and we reject Christ because we're selfish. And thirdly, we reject Christ because we're settled in our works. We're settled in our works. Verse 45 of John chapter 5 says, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, whom you trust. They were doing the right thing, or at least they thought they were doing the right thing. They were living the right way, and so they were righteous in their own eyes. They thought by keeping the law that they could be pleasing to God. Today, we might say it uh, this way. So we're, we're not so concerned really about whether we're keeping the law of the Jews, but we say it a little bit differently, see it a little bit differently, but it's basically the same thing. That is, my good works will save me. That is, if my good works outweigh the bad, then everything's okay. If I am seen as a good person, I try to do good things more than I, I fail or more than I do bad things, well then, in the end, the balance is going to come out in my favor and all will be okay. That's essentially how these Pharisees and these religious leaders were working, to a living just like most of us live. We think we're a lot better than we are. You see, and we look at our lives, and we look at our lives with rose-colored glasses, if you will. So we look at ourselves, and we will more likely see the good in us than we will see the bad. And we evaluate ourselves with a bias. We're clinging to self-righteousness. It's, it's funny because we're, we're quick to point that out in others. We're quick to point out the self-righteousness in others. Oh, look at them. Don't they think they're better than, than they are? Well, they always uh, think they're, they're, they're better, but we rarely see it in ourselves. Romans chapter 10 and verse 3 says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. You see the self-centeredness in, in that? Self-centeredness in this uh, self-righteousness, in, in looking at ourselves and saying, you know, if my, my works are good enough, it'll be enough. Who sets the standard in that? I do. I, in, in that case, I am determining if I'm good enough for God or not. It completely disregards whether God thinks it's good enough or not. You'd say, well, here's some good things and here's some bad things and this is what I think is good and this is what I think is bad. So in the end, whatever comes at the end in, in judgment, I've done pretty well and so I will decide that I've done good enough and whoever judges at the end or however the judgment comes at the end, well, that's in my hands. 
How do I have the right to tell God what's good enough? So Jesus says, says, you think you're good enough there in verse 45. He says, I'm not, I don't even need to judge you. He says, I don't need to stand here and, and judge you. Moses will judge you. The very one who you are trying to follow, he's going to be the one who judges you in that here's what he's written. Here's what he said. You say you're following it. But look at Moses. You're not doing what he said. You're not following him. The very thing you claim to be is the very thing that is going to condemn you. We usually think of the external evidences of whether we're good or not, but Jesus tells us to look inside to the motives of our heart. God's standards are much higher than we think. To a completely holy God, our good just isn't good enough. To a God who is absolutely perfect in every possible way, our feeble attempts at goodness just don't meet the standard. In fact, there seems the Bible describes as filthy rags. The very best we can do is completely tainted with our sin and corruption. So people reject Christ because they're sinful, they're selfish, and they're settled in their own ways. Fourthly, and finally here, one of the reasons that Jesus gives us about why people reject him is that the scriptures aren't believed. Don't believe the scriptures. It says in verse 46, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus says, you talk about Moses a lot. And in Luke, it's, he, he's using David as an example. You, know, you, you talk about King David a lot. And you talk about the, the, uh, the coming Messiah from David. And you try and follow David through the Psalms and, and Moses through the law. You talk about these a lot, but you miss what they're really talking about. Both of them, both Moses and both David, were pointing to Jesus Christ, directing to Jesus, so that we could see him. Both reveal that Jesus is the point of it all, and that is the role of the Scriptures. It's meant to point us to Jesus. We're deceiving ourselves. We're reaching for other answers, for uh, other reasons we will look all over for reasons to reject Jesus, to see what's out there, to understand the world, but we will refuse to consider the claims of Jesus. We'll consider everybody else's claims, but we won't consider Jesus' claims. See, the answer is right in front of us. Just like the, the Jews here, the answer was right in front of them. Everything they needed to believe, everything they, they, they had read was now coming right in front of them. They could see it. But they didn't want to believe and they didn't even believe the testimony of the one they said they believed. Today, people will say that Jesus is a, a good, honorable man. We, we talk about Jesus at least with some uh, respect and and that, yes, he was a historical figure and 
Uh, yes, he had a lot of good sayings, and they're worth following. The, you know, the great commandment to love others as ourselves. These are all good things, and we respect what he said and, and him as an honorable person. But even in this veneer of respect that he is given in this simple way, we refuse to believe what he said. We pick and choose what we want out of what Jesus says or out of what Jesus is to determine whether we will follow him or not. Jesus gives us four reasons here that people reject Jesus Christ. We reject Christ because we're sinful. We reject Christ because we're selfish. We reject Christ because we're settled. And we reject Christ because the scriptures aren't believed. Now that hardness, that blindness of our eyes, the blindness can be taken away and the, the hardness can be broken down. And that is why we as the people of God are called to proclaim the gospel, to shine the light of God and of the gospel into this world. You know, it reminds us as we look at these, these incidents and we, we see here aspects where people can see Jesus right in front of them. They can, they can hear his words or, or, or understand scripture and still refuse. It reminds us that we are in a spiritual battle. That what we proclaim is, is part of something greater, something bigger, something outside of us. And so as we look to our lives and as we desire to be the people of God, we need to pray for power. We need to pray for boldness, boldness to proclaim the word of God. We need to pray for clarity in the way we speak and understanding, understanding both of God and his works and of people. And we need to pray for opportunity, opportunity to present the gospel, open doors to share and to speak with those around us. As we close this morning, have you been rejecting Christ? Maybe, like the Pharisees, you've been religious, but empty. Or maybe you're substituting Christ with someone or something else. Something that gives you what you think you want. Something that, or someone that will tell you what you want to hear. Jesus isn't a cheap substitute. Jesus is the real thing. He is the one that will genuinely meet your needs. He is the one that will completely satisfy, save you from your empty effort. Will you believe him today? And Christian, proclaim him. The world needs to hear Jesus. It needs the power of the gospel to be pushed through this world so that people can hear and have their blindness taken away and see Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reminders that we get from your word, the instruction that you give us. Lord, is there are times like this where we, we look and try and see just a little bit behind what motivates people, what moves people, and what moves and motivates us even. 
it helps us to understand our neighbors, our family, our friends. It reminds us about what we were before we were saved, the blindness in our life, the emptiness we chased, the praise we longed for. Lord, as we remember these things and we reminded and understand what people are, help us to have compassion and grace as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.